the coolest community in freight. I'm your host, Sydney Edwards, bringing you all the latest tech updates, warehouse news, everything happening in the cold chain world. Now, if you're familiar with Running on Ice, the show, then you know Running on Ice, the newsletter. I write it every Wednesday and Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern time, and we talk about really what's happening on this show, but also any other updates we have to mention. Tonight is no different, and we've got some headlines for you. So before we introduce our first guest, let's get into those. Now, BG Capital, the Philadelphia-based commercial real estate investment firm, announced a partnership with Freeze Pack Logistics to build and own over 200 million cubic feet of customized cold storage facilities. That's according to Connect CRE. And this venture will amount to more than $3 billion in asset value. And Connect CRE says the first project will be in Philadelphia's Port Richmond neighborhood. Other facilities are planned for Houston and Jacksonville. The U.S. Department of Agriculture's Food Safety and Inspection Service and the state of Oregon have made a cooperative agreement where the state inspection program can inspect meat that's produced for shipment within the state. In a Food Market article, the USDA's deputy undersecretary said this would strengthen the nation's food system and help prevent supply chain bottlenecks. The agreement says that the inspection program must develop, administer, and enforce requirements quote, at least equal to those imposed under the Federal Meat Inspection Act. 28 other states currently follow similar programs. Now, Asia Air Freight Terminal Company announced AAT Coolport, Hong Kong's first on-airport temperature-controlled facility. In an article by Aviation Pros, this build is expected to increase AAT's handling capacity for perishable and pharmaceutical cargo by 50%. AAT Coolport will offer customers a dedicated temperature-controlled zone covering the entire cargo handling process, including acceptance and delivery, buildup and breakdown, security screening, and storage. It also has multi-tiered temperature zones that are supported by real-time temperature and humidity monitoring systems. Not to mention, AAT is a green air freight terminal. And I cannot end these headlines without mentioning Tive's new temperature logging label, like a temperature-sensing sticker. And we had Tive on the show a few weeks ago, and Jim Waters stayed tight-lipped on this project, but we'll actually have him back next week on Running on Ice to talk about this new product. In the meantime, FreightWaves' Grace Sharkey has an article written on this new technology, and you can check that out at FreightWaves.com. Now to get to the good stuff. Today, I'm joined by the Director of Refrigerated and Specialized Freight at Blue Grace Logistics. His name is Jonathan Swart. Jonathan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Great. I would like to get a little bit into your background before we get into our topic for the day. And so tell me, how did your path lead you to Blue Grace and in the refrigerated trucking world? Uh, yeah, so I actually uh, grew up in, uh, in Fargo, North Dakota, um, had an opportunity to intern for a large 3PL um, in Minneapolis. And then after that, I uh, did the kind of dumb jock thing in college, was going to school for five years. So actually interned for two years, um, fell in love with the industry, uh, worked for that 3PL out of Colorado, um, a variety of a large asset out of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, 
Um, and then I was uh, with uh, Sam Anderson and Bay and Bay uh, up in Minnesota for a couple years. So kind of as I went through my career, um, especially in North Dakota, we were very heavy temp control, a lot of potatoes, um, harvest, frozen food production. So I kind of cut my teeth there, fell in love with the refrigerated space as I'd kind of gotten a little broader background uh, through my career. Um, had the opportunity with a private equity group uh, to open up a business down here in Florida um, called Anthem Logistics. And on the when we kind of sat down and were discussing our strategy about how we were going to build that business from a cold start, what our goals were, um, my background on the refrigerated and produce and flatbed side, we decided that was a vertical that we were going to chase. You know, it's high service. The demand is always there. So we built that company from four employees all the way up to about 110. Uh, we knew the uh, Bobby um, at Blue Grace here as well as Mark Ford. And so as we were on the onset of COVID, um, you know, they had made us an offer. It was our refrigerated service at Blue Grace um, really developed from that acquisition about two years ago. Uh, and so when we came into Blue Grace, obviously much better technology, you know, a lot of expertise from processes across, you know, LTL, truckload. Um, so when we were kind of plugged in here, we've been able to grow it uh, very quickly. And today, refrigerated produce specialized services is about 35% of our overall volume. And so... I love to hear it. That's awesome. It's like a, a bonded partnership. <laughs> uh, yeah, it has been. Don't get me wrong. There were some long nights and a lot of headaches during the integration. You know what we do on the refrigerated side and the service levels that are needed and what the customers expect. Uh, there has definitely some changes that needed to be done, but you know we've kind of gotten through that integrated well and uh, we've continued to grow. We can talk about it a little later in the show, but I'm sure that the refrigerated side of things is only going to get bigger. Yeah, that's what we're going for. So today we're going to be talking about the AB5 law and you know what that means for the reefer world. We talk about it all the time on Freight Waves now, but we haven't yet talked about it on Running on Ice. And so I'd love to just kind of start off, if you could, tell me about the AB5 law um, and what exactly that means. Yeah. So, you know, it's really a law specific to California. You know, why I think it's making, you know, so many headlines and why everybody is kind of up in arms about it uh, is you have to go back to, they call it F4A or F quad A. If you guys remember that, it was legislation done by Congress in 1994. And explicitly in that bill, you know, there was a lot of language that targeted kind of interstate commerce. And so it was designed to keep the states from being able to make a patchwork to regulate, you know, trucking companies, airlines, everybody that is going to operate kind of on a federal level or across state lines. Um, and so that says, you know, you can't interrupt the service or you can't, you know, make legislation at the state level that would degrade service, uh, increase rates, or kind of make unfair competition per se. And so now we come to AB5 and you know everybody's a little bit concerned that this is going to open the doors to the states being able to make legislation on regulating trucking companies specifically in our space, you know, and how those trucking companies are going to operate within the state. I would like you just to tell me 
Who specifically is going to be, you know, impacted here? And what are your main concerns with this law now that the Supreme Court hasn't heard it, which means it's the law of the land? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point because it's kind of a it's a first of its kind. So the Ninth Circuit refusing to hear it now, all of a sudden, everybody legally is very concerned that there's no opportunity for review and that there's no opportunity that this will get reversed right back in 2020 trucking got an exemption but that's now been removed there's no other competing state law unless another state follows suit on this but now that ruling creates precedent so we're you know we don't know where it's going to go um probably take a long time to get worked out through the court system um so who is affected directly is going to be mostly you know, trucking companies that operate in California and more specifically, you know, that operate either on a lease purchase or owner operator model with drivers that are domiciled in California. So, you know, we talk about, you know, the drayage networks and the majority of the way that those companies are set up. You know, there's a uh, large base of owner operator long haul drivers that live in California that, you know, service a lot of seasonal refrigerated freight. Um, you know, this is stuff that demand kind of goes up and down, but that owner operator population is now being forced to either move out of California, create their own company, right? So, you know, they would have to have their own MC, the cost and increases and all that that go along with it. Um, so that's kind of where we're looking at. I mean, it's estimated that there's 70,000 drivers that are going to be affected in the state of California alone. And what are they used to working as already and how different is this going to be for them now? Yeah. So, you know, everybody's fairly familiar with the owner operator model. Um, you know, so lease purchase or leased on owner operators to you know, a larger carrier, to another motor carrier or to a smaller motor carrier. You know, those are the drivers that won't be able to, to work through that model anymore. So they would have to essentially create their own MC, you know, get their insurance, kind of burden all of that cost where they're used to working for somebody else. Somebody else handles their billing, their dispatching. You know, they might have consistent loads that they put them on, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So and that's, you know, going to go away kind of that traditional model. You know, the other part of it is, you know, large fleets that have kind of a very that have a very large compliance department. You know, those those companies and there's a lot of them that would use owner operators or use that capacity as a way to either kind of increase or decrease based on the overall market trend. And, you know, that has a lot of benefit for the owner operator, because that's kind of what pulls rates up and down a little. And so, you know, you're removing some of the free market activity that, you know, we've all become accustomed to. And we've seen, you know, uh, fairly large swings in the cost of trucking over the last 24 months and, you know, over the, the time since deregulation in the 1980s. And everybody is concerned that this regulation is going to take away that free market activity. And you're saying 70,000 drivers that would be, you know, picking up these loads and and moving the capacity that we have without them. What exactly would that mean for capacity? Yeah. So the concern is, you know, that that is kind of your free flowing capacity, if you want to call it that. You know, it's capacity that is, you know, that is not afraid to chase the hotter markets. You know, they're the ones that are getting into 
the growing regions in California. And then in the wintertime, they, you know, they show up in the Texas Valley and in Yuma, spring, you know, Florida, the fall coming up here up in the Pacific Northwest. And so we do a lot for that capacity, you know, as far as you know, finding them backhauls into those markets so we can capture that capacity out of it. You know, and that's typically your fleet size. That's, you know, one to 50 trucks that might be half company drivers, might be owner operators, might be all owner operators. Um, you know, and so if that capacity is going to be limited and not be able to run California, everybody knows that California grows a large majority of our domestically grown fruits and vegetables. And so our concern is, you know, is that service going to remain consistent for those shippers? And I think that's a question on the shipper side, you know, outside of any risk management, which I think we'll talk to a little bit later, you know, just at its core is service and speed going to remain the same without that driver population. And then, you know, you look at the ports where, you know, it's been in a lot of scrutiny about bottlenecks at the ports and not being able to get containers and the supply chain bottlenecks. You know, this is directly affecting a leg in that, you know, in that movement from, you know, import to retail shelf. You know, so is there going to be another slowdown and is this the next bottleneck that, you know, we're going to see that, you know, we're finally coming out of and everybody's becoming accustomed to seeing stocked shelves um, and being able to order what they want from, you know, Amazon or e-commerce. And so is this going to affect that? Uh, and then, you know, broader impact, uh, we could see some retailers choosing not to import into Los Angeles and Oakland, which now you're going to throw off, you know, the domestic network again and create another level of disruption. And speaking of disruption, how exactly could this even be regulated? I feel like that would be an issue as well. <laughs> That's kind of the million dollar <laughs> question right now. So there, you know, I think one school of thought is, you know, everybody's upset that the Ninth Circuit didn't decide to hear this because the law is a little ambiguous. So, you know, California has given some guidance that says, well, you know, you can use the business to business exemption inside of AB5. But that's a 12 step process that you have to check every single box and that's not realistic for a you know, capacity provider that's 50 trucks that has to be very cost conscious about you know, their operations and you know, making sure that they're financially viable. And so that's just not realistic for everybody. Um, so that's, that's kind of where it's coming from. We've seen some news out of the California Department of Labor that you know, they're going to be the ones enforcing it. Um, and so if that's the case, you know, where does the FMCSA or the DOT come into play? You know, there's just a lot of ambiguity around it. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, it's it's kind of creating that nervousness amongst carriers and 3PLs and um, companies in California. I know we've been talking about it for weeks. We've been hearing about it on all news circuits what have you heard from customers, you know, now that we know that this is what's going to be happening? Any other concerns that you've heard? Uh, so I think everybody is kind of getting their initial reaction that says, hey, you know, am I going to be OK on capacity and service? You know, we've gone through a cycle in the market where there was questions around being able to get enough capacity to move fresh fruits and vegetables or, you know, frozen goods that are imported, you know, whatever that might be. I think customers in every industry have felt the impacts 
of a shortage in capacity. And so I think that was kind of the first round of questions is, you know, am I going to be okay? What should I be looking for? Is there anything that I have to worry about in my carrier base that's going to put me at risk? Um, You know, I think some of those questions remain a little bit unanswered, Uh, you know, and now then those conversations turn to the risk management piece of it. So, you know, if I have large companies that are, you know, working to be compliant because everything is telling us that enforcement is going to start in October of this year. So, you know, it doesn't, you know, looks like if you all remember the, you know, ELDs to the boards to being fully compliant, it doesn't look like we're going to have the luxury of a, you know, broad or a longer implementation process. You know, the California Department of Labor has been very firm saying that enforcement is going to start in October. So everybody's turning their eyes to compliance. There's been some reactions that large companies have said, if you're an owner operator in the state of California, here's your path to either become a W-2 employee or you're going to have to move out of the state if you want to continue to be a lease operator or owner operator under our umbrella. And so, you, you know, if that happens and then, you know, you also look at, OK, well, if every reputable company is going to you know, have a reaction that just says we can't comply to this. So, you know, we're going to take steps to remove that capacity from our network or just not do it in general. You know, now all of a sudden you have a 70,000 drivers that don't necessarily know where to go. And this is just going to put it in the hands of, you know, kind of the fly-by-night dispatch services that, you know, have become a real issue on the brokerage side. And so I kind of believe that this is going to open that driver population up to kind of some predatory behavior that's not going to be good for anybody. And if we're talking about those seasonal drivers and, you know, we kind of get into more the movement of things, could this open up for food quality issues if it gets down to it? Yes. So if you think about it and, you know, some of the proposed models are, well, you know, do we operate with only company drivers in the state of California and place relay yards somewhere? Or, you know, do we just limit our capacity in the state of California or these certain regions? You know, is that going to take away from the speed of service that, you know, everybody is accustomed to? Um, I think so. You know, especially as you get into the peak summer months when, you know, you have product you know, quantity that is kind of busting out of the seams at most of the cooling sheds and everything like that. It's very important to relieve congestion at the dock. And so, you know, you see more wait times and all that. And, you know, there's kind of the saying that goes, you can't build a church for Easter Sunday, um, holds very true to the trucking industry. You know, you, you can't, you know, have capacity in place and limit flexibility to be able to move that in and out because it changes all the time, changes month to month, day to day, week to week. And so without kind of this flexible piece of capacity, could we see that shortage and could we see a big slowdown? I think so. I think I know the answer to this already, but any positive? Do you see any kind of pro to the AB5 law? 
Uh, you know, it's a little bit hard right now because I think everybody's kind of <laughs> reeling and, and trying to understand, you know, how we're going to comply and the overall effects. And, you know, I don't want to come off that this is all gloom and doom because it's not. Um, you know, it's just going to take some changes and some flexibility. And I think, uh, you know, if you've been around the industry for a while, I think you understand that, you know, uh, trucking companies, capacity providers, 3PLs, you know, that's how we are successful, right? You know, we adapt to changing needs and all that. And um, I, I think there will be some positive outcomes if this holds, but I don't think it's at a time right now where our you know, supply chain um, and the state of capacity can really absorb it without a bigger negative impact. You know, it might level the wage field for drivers. Um, you know, there's a different school of thought that, you know, now all of a sudden, uh, you know, in an industry where a driver wage has, you know, been under scrutiny or kind of, you know, is it really a living wage and has it kept up with inflation and other skilled labor jobs? You know, I think if you would ask a lot of people today, they would tell you no, you know, but could this help us get there? Maybe. But if it removes, you know, kind of that free market aspect of the owner operator, um, you know, is it the ability that we're going to see the driver wages change more drastically? Uh, so, you know, capacity becomes tight. We need to attract more W-2 drivers. Driver wage sees, you know, an exponential increase, maybe, you know, but the other thing is we go through a slower demand. It's very easy to, you know, kind of limit your capacity by controlling your driver wage. And then all of a sudden it becomes a non-living wage and everything that, you know, um, everybody's done to support the driver and all the momentum that we've gained over the last 22, 20, uh, 24 months might be lost. And, you know, that would be a detriment to our industry. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining the show. Any last insights maybe on anything Blue Grace is doing or how we can find out more about you and Blue Grace? Uh, yeah, so uh, you can visit us on the web or you know, uh, my direct email, jsward at bluegracegroup.com. Um, you know, we're very familiar with you know, almost every USDA growing region on the temp control side. So if there's any needs there, absolutely reach out to us. Uh, we have expertise in almost all of them. Um, and then anything uh, LTL, dry van, supply chain services related, uh, we are one of the only 3PLs that has a very, very well-rounded uh, service offering. Um, so reach out with anything that you got. And uh, if we can't help you, we'll get you pointed in the right direction. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And any other tips? I know um, we said we were talking about the cold side of things growing 35%. What do you expect it by the end of maybe two years, a year from now? You know, I'm going to uh, maybe be a little muted on this because I think they're setting our <laughs> budgets right about now. So <laughs> uh, no, but it, it's going to continue to it's going to continue to grow for us. Uh, you know, the service that we're able to offer there, um, you know, from an on time delivery standpoint and understanding of, you know, what people need in that, you know, protein fresh space. Uh, we have experts kind of all across the board there. So uh, we expect it to continue to grow. And we're going to continue to invest best in it. Thank you so much, Jonathan. That is the end of our show, Running on Ice. You can catch this on FreightWaves.com. I'll have this show linked into my newsletter, Running on Ice, and we will see you next week when we have Tive.